Welcome to the Pretty Powerful Podcast, where powerful women are interviewed every week to share real inspiring stories and incredible insight to help women or anyone break the barriers, be a part of innovation, shatter the glass ceiling, and dominate to the top of their sport, industry, or life's mission. Join us as we celebrate exceptional women and step into our power. And now, here's your host, Angela Gennari. Hello, and welcome to the Pretty Powerful Podcast. My name is Angela Gennari, and today I'm here with Carrie Pierce. Welcome to the show, Carrie. Thank you, Angela. It's a joy to be with you and your listeners today. I'm just delighted that we have this time to visit. Thank you so much. So Carrie's inter- Carrie has such an interesting career path because she's different than what we normally interview. So me being in the security industry, I talk to a lot of people who are FBI or GBI or CBA, CIA or, or, or something along those lines. Or we talk to business coaches and they give us all kinds of great advice. But Carrie is coming from a very different place. She has worked and spent her career in the film, television, print, and radio industry. Um, She's also a published author. So I think she's going to give us this great creative and uh, just a completely different skill set than what we've ever had before. So I'm really excited to introduce her. So Carrie has served in Hollywood, Las Vegas, Seattle, and throughout Texas, providing key and special effects makeup artistry on numerous film and television productions. Her keen eye for detail has been sought after to assist with set decoration and continuity during film productions. In addition, she has extensive background in both in front of the camera and behind it while modeling and providing makeup for hundreds of print ads. She's also served as an extra on numerous TV productions. Carrie's expertise carries over to radio, where she successfully co-hosted several internationally syndicated radio shows and broadcasts. In addition, she has provided voicing for educational videos and audiobooks. When not serving in film or radio, Carrie has built a solid international reputation as a published writer, having been published many times over the past 20 plus years, and her latest children's book is receiving critical acclaim. After serving 30 years in media and publishing, Carrie provides our Morgan Pierce media and publishing clients with the unique and vital expertise, um, understanding the psychology of marketing, marketing and the importance of careful contract negotiations. Yes, I can't, gosh, Carrie, just a side note, I, I think everybody should learn to negotiate. It's one of the best skill sets we can have, and women are really, really that, good at it, and they don't know it. That is true. That yeah. is very true. It, it's an art and a science uh, combined. Yes, it really is. So anyway, so I want to dive right into this because you have just such great skills and I'm just, I'm dying to know, have you always been creative? Have you always been drawn to that TV, film, radio uh, kind of industry? You know, looking back, since I'm I'm getting old now, so I'm looking back <laughs> over my life and to be honest with you, yes, it was always a, a very, um, a, quite a calling at an yeah. early age. Um, I remember being very frustrated because I didn't have the skills. Even when I wanted to to be a writer, I, I still had to learn how to read. So so even way back in first grade, I, yeah. I had these tendencies and I did uh, have the blessing of growing up in an artistic family. My oh. uncle was a, a French horn player for Elvis and Sinatra, and he did movie um, scores. And mm-hmm. my mother was a jazz singer uh, with quite an illustrious career. And my father was creative in his own right. And 
I came from a, a musical family. My grandfather was a, a award-winning band director. So wow. I grew up exposed to a lot of quality music and I, I they, my parents cared about what I read. So I was given good books, classics to read and, and kind mm -hmm. of cut my teeth on. My leaning toward the film industry though, I think was, was my own thing. Really? Um, film fascinated me and I find your background in securities that, to be very interesting because yeah. as I was going through doing the special effects I seriously looked at um, the program through the CIA of doing their spy makeup um, mm. I really had a calling to do that and I wanted very much to enter that program but the more that I started researching it the more I realized what was really on the line you know yeah. people's lives were on the line and I also read in the in the course of understanding that part of the program yeah. that the makeup artists were really um had big targets on their back because oh, yeah. they knew who the spies actually were and they knew whose special effects and 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 disguises went to which person and so i thought you know i uh, i do makeup and all of that but i'm not really sure i want to die for it so yeah, yeah. that that kind of backed me out of that but it, it was an astounding um possibility to to think about that yeah that makeup could be taken to that level and lives would depend on it so I don't know if I've really answered your question or not but my mom had a a, a big exposure to radio and that's where my love of radio came in but the film thing was something that I gravitated to I love the written word yeah. um for telling stories but I think when you take it and then you go through the art and the science of transitioning the written word onto the screen it is truly magical and, wow. and it teaches you to pay great attention to detail absolutely well and there's very few people that you have seen in you know in history just transition so well in between you know being a screenwriter and a director and an actor and and you seem to have seamlessly tied all of it together including writing you know so there's writing there's there's makeup I mean you understand all sides of it which I think is so important to really being able to have a great product well, thank you for that. I would like to say it was all by careful design, but I think a lot of it was happy accident, or I say happy accident, but I think it was actually God's guidance. Um, yeah. There were, when you look at them, yes, they all do dovetail nicely. I think the underlying core that ties them all together is, again, the skill of paying attention to detail. Yes. And, you know, when it's when you're crafting the written word, you have to pay extraordinary attention to detail. You have to pick each word carefully. Mm -hmm. You have to string them together carefully. So the cadence is there in what you're writing and you're you're using the right word to convey the right feeling and the right sentiment uh, to the reader. That's very important. The right. reader is giving up time out of their lives to read what you've crafted and you have given time out of your life to create it. So mm -hmm. it's a, a very important exchange of energy and time. Um, but likewise, as you transition into TV or film and TV and film are two entirely different venues, they're kind of the same and people sometimes lump them together but they're not. The, the lighting is profoundly different. The set de decoration is profoundly different. Makeup techniques are profoundly different between yeah. TV and film. 
And the same goes from TV, film, and stage. They're completely different makeup languages. Really? And um, that, I think, is a happy thing in the sense that all of that attention to detail spills over into business. Mm-hmm. And that's where attention to every word in a contract comes in to play. Yeah. Um, attention to how you negotiate um, the words that you use in a business negotiation um, it's it's important. It matters. And it is a skill, like you said earlier. So I don't know if that makes any sense or not. There has been a, a lovely continuity throughout my career, but there have yeah. been times where I have spent a great deal of time wondering what the heck is this all about and where do yeah. I go? <laughs> Which well, I think everybody does. <laughs> well, I think, you know, what's really interesting to me is I think with your basis in makeup, right, and design, and then you're also, you have this talent for writing. I imagine when you're writing, you can already see the character develop in your head, right? You know exactly what they look like. You know what their eyeshadow looks like. You know what their cheekbone structure is. And I imagine that you're filling that out and providing great detail in everything because you're so artistic, you know, and, and visual. So I imagine that in your writing, that must come through. Well, thank you. You know, I I have been blessed to have very good teachers in my past that mm-hmm. taught me the skill of writing and, and the passion mm-hmm. in, in writing. But it is interesting to me, and I did notice in this last children's book that I just um, completed a, a few months ago, The Tale of Tommy Tomlinson's Tennis Shoes, uh-huh. I had never really noticed before, but you are you are right. It very much had a, a part to play as I was writing the scenes and writing the interaction between the characters. It was playing out in my mind as a film. Yeah, and I do think that is something that sets us apart at Morgan Pierce Media and Publishing because Sandra has a great business acumen as well. She is also a writer. Between the two of us, we have about 60 years in of writing experience. She's yeah. done um, interviews and, and radio and, and publishing for a very long time too. Mm-hmm. But when we combine our skills and the fact that w- that in our partnership, there is that that background of film and how to set a scene and camera angles. And I think that sets us apart in terms of what we're able to actually do for our authors when we edit their books and we get their, their product ready for publishing. I think we're able to cast um, an eye on their finished product in a way that some other publishing houses aren't able to do. And I, I think that is, is exciting. It's yeah. exciting for us to to be able to offer that. Well, I think you can add so much value in being able to develop the characters fully and, you know, give them an expression where you can almost feel them sitting next to you and, and being part of the environment or you can see yourself in their environment. So I think that's really important in writing and publishing. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate so, that. So what led you down the path of wanting to do publishing after so much in, you know, makeup and design and set creation, and you had all of this, what, what led you down the path of wanting to go into publishing? Well, I've always loved language um, and I've always loved writing. And I think in the course of my career, especially as I was doing film and, and makeup and um, doing my aesthetics training. I became an esthetician along the way as well, so I could touch people and deal with skin. Uh Um, As I received that training, 
that led me to uh, about 10 years where it became very apparent to me that men and women in midlife were really needing reliable health and beauty information as yeah. they moved through the the decline in hormones, the, the menopause and the andropause process. That mm -hmm. information really wasn't out there to help them. So for about 10 years, I started writing health and beauty articles and they were very okay. well received and I wrote thousands and thousands of them. But so that put me out there in the world of writing and publishing and, and gaining exposure. Yeah. But as I started writing children's books and, and other books, um, I think as so often happens, you are led to bad experiences so that you can learn important lessons. And I was greatly taken advantage of in some instances in my uh -huh. younger writing career um, by bad editors that totally stripped the personalities out of all of my characters and ruined my manuscripts. And it took uh -huh. me years to get them back. And um, also Sandra in her um, early publishing um, part of her career had some all, also unfortunate experiences. So as we worked together and I wrote for her magazine for quite some time, mm -hmm. um, we developed a lovely friendship. And then we began sharing our frustrations about how people are taken advantage of in the world of publishing and how painful it is. Yeah. You go through all of the horrible rejection letters that have no personality in them. They dash your dreams. They dash your soul. You you don't write for two or three weeks after you get them because they've just ruined your passion and crushed your spirit. So we shared those experiences together. And then we also started sharing how we had been taken advantage of. And through the course of those conversations and our friendship, we realized we wanted to create a publishing house where that didn't happen to yeah. people. Yeah. So that's really a very wordy way to answer that question. Um, we take our, our clients very seriously when people submit a manuscript to us. We spend yeah. a lot of time reading it. If we do have to reject a manuscript, and we do, um, we are very careful to give lengthy, um, loving, carefully thought out reasons as to why we've had to reject a manuscript so that yeah. when that person goes forward to look for a new publishing home they'll stand a better chance yeah so we we do things very differently at morgan pierce and i i i think we're we're grateful to have the opportunity to do so Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, good for you for taking a different approach, because I think that's really important to, you know, not crush someone's spirit. Everybody starts from somewhere, right? And so yeah. it's hard to be rejected. It's it's the easiest thing to do is just walk away and give up and say, okay, I can't do this anymore. There's only so much I can take. But at the same time, if you just get that gentle, like, hey, this is, you know, you're halfway there, but maybe, maybe try developing this a little bit more. Maybe try adding this, you know, into the conversation. And, and I think that has so much value in just making sure that somebody has something to live on for, right? Like I have a reason to try again, right? Like yes. I, I, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Hope is so important. And um, I've recently gone through a rather devastating loss and grief experience. And when you lose hope, you just lose everything. And I think Sandra and I both realize that because we have 
we've had the hope stolen from our hopes and dreams before by by less than considerate critiquing people or or people yeah. that rejected our writing or uh, and it's when when you write and you have a manuscript that you're about ready to release out into the world or the same with a a, a, a screenplay that's your baby oh, you know absolutely. you spend a lot of time gestating that and that you're sending it out into the cold hard world yeah and it's painful and it makes you feel very very vulnerable and yeah. you're vulnerable and it's easy to get totally squashed to bits if if you're not careful or if you don't fall in with the right understanding hearts and and minds right right and if you try to do something different and unique and creative you know you're taking a huge risk but that risk may not be received well i mean look at jk yeah. rowling's how many times did she get rejected by publishers and now she's a billionaire you know like people yeah. love her books but for the for a long time publishers just said no it's not our style it's not what we were looking for mm -hmm. um but it's it what they didn't know is what a huge hit this would be and so her risk was was worth it but yeah so it's nice to see outside you know outside of the box thinking and uh you know how somebody mm -hmm. could could hopefully you know take a risk that it would pay off but also get positive feedback well art is in uh, by its very core purpose art is risk yeah and and if you're if you're trying to play the game to be profitable yeah. you eventually become desperate right and then as you become desperate you lose your core value you lose your your mission um mm -hmm. you lose your footing and you end up then in a in a place you never intended to be and oftentimes victimized and it's that's not a happy scenario mm -hmm. but but by it's it's very fundamental beingness art mm -hmm. is risk taking and if it's not then it's missing a lot of passion and, yeah. and in order to be successful in anything in life you have to have passion I feel a hundred percent I agree with you and if you can if passion is your driver and not money you'll be way more successful that is yeah. true that's very true so what advice would you give to somebody who wants to become a published author? Mm. Well, um, this is tricky because when you're young and the world is fresh, mm -hmm. our tendency is to be stream of consciousness and in the yeah. flow and all of those <laughs> things. And I started out that way. Uh -huh. When you are a writer, though, and you're approaching it from that way, that mindset, you then become victimized by your muse. You can't create anything worthwhile unless your muse decides to visit you. Mm. And that means then you end up writing one good thing a year or you become a, a drug addict or an alcoholic because your muse isn't visiting or yeah. you're trying to entice your muse to visit and you have to get out of your consciousness for that to happen. So it's difficult to understand that stream of consciousness is great, especially for a first to draft. You have to get out of your way and get that first draft out on paper. Yeah. Don't yeah. touch it. Just let it come and flow. And then you start the crafting and the honing and the scientific process of editing and tightening and refining. 
but you have to get out of your way long enough to let that first drought come without judgment. Yeah. However, with that said, until you start treating your talent like a business, which sounds totally <laughs> of what you just said. Yeah, what I just said. <laughs> you have to treat it like a business, which mm. means you have to own your talent. Mm-hmm. You have to exercise your talent. You have to grow your talent. You have to take steps like you would a business to understand the the rules and the skills and and the the how things are supposed to work so you can break them by choice when you need mm-hmm. to. Um, but you have to treat it like a business, which means you show up, you're disciplined, you write, um, you connect, you do all of those things for so many hours a day. And and yes, the stream of consciousness needs to be there, but you have to control it. Yeah. And and that muse works for you. You don't work for the muse, yeah. which means you tell the muse, okay, you need to show up now. It's time to start going to work. Right. And until you get to that point Mm -hmm. it's very frustrating and it's very difficult and it's it it, you might as well just bash your head up against a wall for five hours a day because that's how you're going to end up feeling anyway so I don't know if that really answers the question or not however after you have done all of that and you have a manuscript in place that you believe to be the very best that you can possibly create Mm-hmm. You have done every single thing that you can do. You've picked every word carefully. You know it's the right one. You've edited it as tightly as you know how. Uh, and then you feel you have expressed to your fullest ability your message. Mm-hmm. Then you need to very carefully do your research, due diligence, and pick publishers to start submitting and if there are guidelines that those publishers give you to submit your manuscript you need to make sure you follow every single one of them yeah because a lot of manuscripts get tossed into the the can without even getting read because oh yeah they put little barriers up little loopholes you have to jump through to test your it's like it's like in the modeling world no matter how skinny you are you go in for a cattle call and they tell you come back when you've lost seven pounds we they're testing your resolve they're testing your willingness how hungry are you to actually do this and that's why anorexia runs so rampant in the modeling world because Mm -hmm. you're you're never skinny enough they're always Mm -hmm. telling you to go home and lose five pounds because they're testing your resolve and there are some publishing houses that do put little speed bumps in the way to see if you follow rules if you pay attention to detail there are little tests along the way yeah so do pay attention to detail yeah uh, but we should pay attention to detail in every single aspect of our lives and careers no matter what we do mm, I the, agree. the devil is in the details but also mm-hmm. so are the miracles and the blessings and the magic is also in the details it really is. I always say successes in the details because anyone can get the bigger picture, right? That's not that yeah. hard, right? Like you can see the big wide open field and you're like, okay, I can, you know, I can make it there. But once that target becomes smaller and smaller and smaller that now, now we're talking about expertise. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Very well said. Yeah. So 
So when you are looking at manuscripts, what can you give me like three things that you look for in a manuscript to say, yes, this is worth taking to the next level or I think they have some work to do? Well, of course, you want to look for structure and flow. The quality of the writing has to be there. There's only so much that as editing editors we can do. Right. Um, right. But but what I think we really look for is heart. Um, and, and we also, we look carefully to see, and this comes when we select a manuscript that we are interested in, then we set up meetings with the author because right. it's a relationship and it's a long-term relationship and oh, yeah. the, the, it has to work. It has to work for us and it has to work for the author because we're taking their baby Mm -hmm. And we are getting their baby to launch out into the world, as I said earlier, and it's painful for them and it makes them feel vulnerable. And there are certain things that we have to do to make that baby ready for the world. And it's a process and it's it's about a year long relationship. So we look for heart mm -hmm. in our writers and and that their writing conveys and expresses their heart. And we look again for integrity and especially writing integrity right. um, there are people out there that write stories to pat themselves on the back or because they they want their ego stroked look at me i'm so wonderful the world doesn't need those yeah and well the, i think we're smarter than they give us credit for we see through it that's very true. And I think as a society, and I'm kind of getting off on my soapbox here, I think we have become so self-absorbed yeah. and you're right. I think the consuming public is starting to really pick up on that and, and uh -huh. it's, it's, it's off-putting. It is. It's, um, it just makes you go, ooh. Yeah. So yeah. we look for stories that are truly coming from the place of, I have lived this thing and I have learned the following from this thing. And I would like to convey the blessing of this thing onto others so that if they have this thing or they have another thing in their life, I can help them grow or be better or overcome, or I have something of benefit to impart because it's coming from my heart. And I think when you have that and you're able to put that into your writing and that into your manuscript and that into your film, if it's a screenplay, um, you're way ahead of the game. Mm. So the writing needs to be tight. You need to have a manuscript that is the best that you can possibly make it. Mm -hmm. And then you need to make sure that your heart is in it and that you have not deviated from your heart mission. Yeah, absolutely. So. So as a business owner, what do you, what advice would you give to a business owner wanting to write a book? Do you see value mm -hmm. in business owners writing books? And if they do, do you think it's worth getting a ghostwriter or do you feel like this should come from the, from the voice of the business owner? And how does ghostwriting work? I know it's like a million questions in one time. Those are, those are, they're all good questions. I hope if I forget one, yeah. call me back. Um, number one, I think it's very important. If you are a business owner or you have a niche that is a specialized area, mm -hmm. Writing a book can be extremely helpful to your business and to your industry and also to your reputation. Again, if it is done for the right reason and from the heart and not as an ego or money driver. 
Right, right. Because right. the the average person is starting to really become savvy now and they're picking up mm -hmm. on these things. So you need to make you really need to check yourself. Why do I feel like I need to write a book? Right. Um, so it is important. It is uh it's becoming a very powerful tool to help mm -hmm. people grow their business reputations and their businesses. Um Ghost writing is interesting, and I do ghostwrite for people. It's it's quite a science on its own, and it is very challenging. It's challenging for me as a writer. A lot of time and effort goes into getting to know the person. Okay. Because the thing about ghostwriting is I can sit alone in my office for three months and write your book, but I have to sound like you, and I have to be in your head and I have to be in your personality yeah. because your name goes on the cover and that is your book. It is not mine. Right. And when you pay a good ghostwriter their fee, you are actually a part of their, their ghostwriting fee is to keep their mouth shut. So if yeah. you have a good ghostwriter, your ghostwriter is never going to come back, no matter how big your book becomes and say, you know, I wrote, I wrote that. I know. Yeah, yeah. Ghostwriters should never ever, yeah. ever reveal the projects that they have ghostwritten. Uh, that's just bad business if you do. But ghostwriting works. Um, usually you pay a fee by word mm -hmm. and you decide at the time the mission, the core structure of the book, um, what who the audience actually is, uh, what the end result is to be, and the the pacing and the um, feel of the book that you would like your book to have. Right. And then we determine the number of words. And so you will pay a, a fee and then we start working on the book and it does take several months. Um, and Morgan Pierce, we do cover design. We have artists that do cover, we get your ISBN number. We do all the Library of Congress registration and all of that business. And then on the back end, we have the sales structure in place to help you then launch your book. And I think a lot of people don't realize, they think the hard part is in the writing of the book. That is a hard part. It is a giving mm -hmm. thing. But then on the back end, you better put in even more work marketing yeah it's gonna find you and nobody's gonna care yeah exactly exactly yeah, so it's a it's a big long thing and it mm -hmm. takes like a year to a year and a half so we, we have been very careful about making sure all of those team members are in place but in answer to your question um and i i think i've touched on them all I think maybe I've missed one yeah no no you did uh because it was really just you know as a business owner you know do you feel like it's an important part of you know promoting someone's business and and I think one of the things that come to mind when I think of a business owner publishing a, uh, a book is because outside of our business, we have to have our own brand because mm -hmm. we want that brand to live. You know, we want our business to be able to live on without us or else mm -hmm. we haven't done a very good job of running our company. Right. So if, mm -hmm. if I am my company, I have not done a very good job of running that company to, to be able to grow on beyond me because I'm mm -hmm. limited. I'm one human being. I'm very limited is to my time on this earth, my time in a day, my, you know, and so my business cannot revolve around me. My business has to be its business. And then I then have to have my own brand as well, because if somebody comes in and scoops up my business or something happens, like I need to have that brand as well. So I think both brands need to be independent, the business owner and the business. 
Oh, very true and, and very well said. And I think a book strategically done and mm -hmm. properly done um, serves as a bridge between those those two issues and those two worlds. And, mm -hmm. and I do see a, a book, if it's carefully crafted and well done with a heart message strongly in it as a, a very powerful vehicle mm -hmm. for any business owner. And I, you know, and there are some businesses that's that on the surface tend to lend themselves in a more flashy way to, to a book. But I think in today's world, from all the things that we've been through, um, pretty much every industry and every person now has a heart message that the world needs to hear, quite frankly, mm -hmm. is how I feel about it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. We we have some strong stances in my company. And, you know, it's come across my mind, like, you know, maybe I should put this out there to the world. But then I feel like, well, then it's my unique identifier. But is it really like, is am I, I don't own an idea. <laughs> so it's an idea. Uh, but yeah, so we have a culture that is, um, that's really good at my company in terms of how we, you know, what we believe, what we believe in. And I think that culture could be beneficial for other industries as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, so tell me a little bit more about when you got into writing and um, makeup design. I mean, you've had such a great plethora of experiences within one particular industry. And so what do you feel like you go back to most? Like, where do you feel most at home when you're, when you're doing it? Is it makeup? Is it design? Is it writing? Like, where do you feel like this is what I was put on the earth to do? Well, it used to be very much makeup for me because I, I enjoyed film, but then there was a, a while after I moved to Hollywood, um, Hollywood puts into perspective what really matters quickly. Okay. Um, you, you're out there surrounded by phoniness mm -hmm. and everything is extremely superficial. And mm -hmm. I, I don't mean that in a horrible way. There are lovely people in the film industry and I love the film industry. It's thrilling. It's absolutely thrilling. And I am so grateful I had the experience. But Hollywood... A lot of people call it Holly weird for a reason. <laughs> right. So I'll just leave that there. Yeah, yeah. But but as I was working on film, what I noticed was I was being called more and more to do very violent, graphic, horrible special effects that had no purpose in the film. They were gratuitous violence, mm -hmm. and it was like peeling women's skin off and and just doing these horrible horrible effects that yeah. really deeply disturbed me and after a while I finally realized you know I, I just I think I need to get out of here because I I got to where nothing ever faced me I was doing mm. bullet holes and slit throats and eviscerating people and their guts were hanging out and and nothing faced me anymore mm. and so I got out of film and I went back to Texas and I got more heavily into the skincare component of things Mm -hmm. And in the course of doing that, that's when I started looking at the CIA makeup and all of yeah, that. But I yeah. realized then what my real calling was in makeup was to work with burn and scar uh, patients. And oh, so wow. I did that for a long time. I took what I knew in the world of special effects and I turned it. And instead of, of making scars, I was teaching people how to cover them up or, or wow. how to, to work on healing the tissue and doing those kind of things. 
And, and for quite some time, that, that was my ministry. I, I lived and breathed that. And then after the, the decade of writing all of the articles and the health and beauty articles, I kind of burned out on that a little bit. And, and I became, um, I just started feeling like I was supposed to write more and I was supposed to um, share verbally more. Yeah. And so the the radio thing was really precious. My mom and I had a, a syndicated jazz show from her drawing upon her years as a jazz singer. Mm -hmm. And that was a lot of fun. We did that for quite some time and it was a precious thing and it was well-received and I love radio. Yeah. Uh, there's something about radio shows and mm -hmm. radio theater that I think is very precious because there's the element of coming together and mm -hmm. back in the forties and, and during the, the war time, people came together in their homes and they sat in front of these radios and they yeah. received news of the war and they received news of the world and they received precious little shows to distract yeah. them. And they were forced to use their imagination. Yes. And that was priceless. That's gold. Yes. And, and we got away from that. And now everybody's plugged into screens and and we don't look out the window anymore and we don't talk yeah. to each other anymore. And, and I, it's deeply disturbing to me. So I know this is a very convoluted wordy way of answering your question, but to be honest with you, I feel like now my true mission and where my heart truly is, is bringing back through the use of the written word, a, a, a a family dynamic if you uh -huh. will where we come together and like we used to do at the dawn of time we would sit in front of a campfire and we yeah. would pass down our generational stories through yes. storytelling and I feel like we must turn back to that we must turn off the tv we must unplug and we must sit together and read aloud um, I, I write my children's books are written not just for children they're written for the adults that have to read them aloud too I write for the children but I write for the parents and the grandparents too yeah and that is something that I feel is my mission now is to to get families to come together and share the written word in an unplugged scenario where they have to read the old-fashioned way from a book Right, right. And, and I just love that. And I've, got, I've actually gotten in the last few months some tremendously heartwarming emails and and letters from people that have, they're doing it. That's and it's, beautiful. And it's making a difference in their family dynamic. And I'm not saying that's me. Yes. I just think it's time that somebody out there and, and preferably a whole lot of us stand up and say, you know, this mm -hmm. hasn't been working too well for society. Let's let's go back a little bit and and introduce more humanity. Mm -hmm. And yeah. and we're sharing on a human level. I think that's so important now. 
Yeah. Well, one of my favorite things in my life that I've ever done is read to my son every single night before he went to bed. I loved that time. And even though I would get sick of the books, because we'd, we'd read one of the three same books over and over and over, because that's what he insisted on. Um, you know, I, I cherish those times because it was just so nice. It's just peaceful. It's you and him and just time, you know, it's but time. You know what? He enjoyed those times too. And oh yeah, you planted seeds there that will last a lifetime. Mm -hmm. You cherish those memories and he also has those memories. And right. as he moves through his life, those memories will continue to be there. And then as he goes on to have his own family, he will implement those happy Absolutely. memories that will come back. And it's a generational blessing that carries yeah. down the line. And I really feel from all that we've been through, in the last few years, um, it is imperative that we start connecting on a heart level, one-on-one yes. -on -one and with our families, and we start turning some of these machines off. And I hate to say mm. that since we're, we're having this I'm interview on a Zoom. for computers. <laughs> I mean, they serve a purpose. I know that uh -huh. I would be lost without mine. But I think it's time to turn these screens off, mm. at least for a couple hours a day or night. Yes. And and bond again we've forgotten how to do that no oh, absolutely and i think too when you look at the the percentage of hospitalizations in young children the psychiatric hospitalizations that are skyrocketing since 2020 in our youth so scary it's terrifying and there's a reason that is happening yeah there's a reason yeah, well, they're not they're not engaging in public, right? And we need that as human beings. We need to be able to yeah. see each other in person. And yeah, we we're not robots, and we can't pretend to be that. And yeah, yeah I, I I agree. Mm -hmm. So, who inspires you? Oh gosh, right. from a writing standpoint or a life standpoint? Life. Or yeah, life. Who inspires life. you? You know, I have been blessed in the last year and a half to meet some truly amazing people just at the grocery store. I mean, I mm. think people's stories, everyone has a story and everyone is struggling. Yeah. Everyone is hurting. Everyone is overcoming. Um, everyone is loving in their own way. Um, my, my mom inspired me tremendously. Um, we were always very close. And we moved to a new state uh, two years ago to start a new life. And oh. and people laugh because mom, when she passed away, was two weeks shy of her 90th birthday. Wow. But as, as we were moving, she went into kidney failure overnight. Oh. And I raced her to the hospital. And it was discovered she was eaten up with multiple myeloma. And oh. we had no warning. And so she wanted to move anyway. And we moved. And that meant that three months after we moved to our new place to start our new life, I was completely alone. Oh, wow. And it, it's been crushing. She was my very best friend. But mom inspired me tremendously because every single day of my mom's life, even, even going through chemo and dialysis three days a week mm -hmm. before she died, she woke up every day wondering what she was going to be when she grew up. Oh my goodness. But she I had such a love for life and she yeah. had so much trauma in her life. How she got up every day was mind boggling to me, but that how she got up with so much love and joy and hope every day 
was it was just stunning to see it was a thing of rare beauty mm -hmm. um but I, that's a hard question to answer because to be honest with you at any other point in our history i would have a list of people there are writers that i love mm -hmm. there are human beings and 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 famous personalities that i i love and and I respect and that have inspired me but to be honest with you after everything we've been through anybody that is still here mm -hmm. still loving still hoping still trying still hanging on still enduring still persevering I have respect for all of human humanity now yeah and absolutely. I think I I go out into my my daily round and I just look at people because I now know what profound, bitter, crushing heartache is yes. and grief and loss. I mean, it was bad enough when my dad died of dementia. That was horrible. And I loved, you know, I loved him. But when you have become so pulverized by loss and grief, mm. your ego is gone. You yeah. get you just lose that. It goes away. And you become, I think, just like the Velveteen Rabbit, which is one of my most favorite books, you become real. Mm. When you become real, you look around you and you see every single human as a treasure yeah. and a story mm -hmm. and a history and a work of art. And I know that's going to sound hokey to people. And I wouldn't have said this six years ago. I would have had a, a completely different set of answers for you. But we are, we are treasures, mm -hmm. each and every one of us. And we, each and every one of us, we have things of value to impart that this world needs and we have stories and we have lessons and we have messages that the, all of the rest of us need. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think everybody has a story in them. Everybody has a treasure to impart in them. I believe that with every fiber of my being. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Wow. So as women, we give our power away all the time. So, uh, you know, it could be criticism. It could be, you know, not standing up for ourselves. Can you tell me about a time that you gave your power away? And then maybe another time that you stepped into your power? Oh, just one? Oh, my I word. know. <laughs> well, um, I, I feel like, and I'm speaking personally, I have had a tremendous amount of trauma mm. in my 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 life as well and everybody has I mean you can't get out of life without trauma and the older yeah. you get unfortunately the more you have yeah um but there it started at a very early age and I will spare you the details but it it was not nice mm. um I feel like as women we give our power away when we just continue to roll through life, dragging our unaddressed traumas around with us. Mm -hmm. um, I know some people perceive counseling as a weakness. And in some cases, it could be it could be that if you don't get a good counselor or if you get a counselor that enables you, that's not a good scenario and that's not no. counseling. 
But as women, un until we become strong enough and brave enough within ourselves to stop mm. and to say no more, I'm not going to carry this crap with me anymore. The, this trauma was mine. This trauma was my grandmother's. This trauma mm. was my mother's. This trauma was the milkman that had a bad day that day. And I'm, I'm not going to carry all of this trauma with me anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to be strong enough to look at it and sort through it right. and see what really is mine to deal with and what is not mine to deal with. I'm going to, to find a way to let go. Mm. So yes. until we reach that point, I feel as women, we are giving our power away and we are also victimized because we're lugging, we're, we become so full of everybody else's muck, including mm -hmm. our own, that until we cleanse ourselves of it, we have no power. Yeah. And it's in, it's in the act of looking at all of that and doing that inner work. And it's not easy. It's very painful and difficult. It's incredibly difficult. But until that work is done, we are not empowered. We can tell ourselves we are empowered and we can act like we're empowered and we can wear our big brave face and our big designer clothes. We're not empowered. Mm -hmm. Still a quivering damaged little girl in a, in a Chanel suit. Yeah. And that's not power. So so to me, the ultimate giving away of power is is not resolving all of our trauma and continuing to drag it around with us throughout our life. But the same token is the moment you make that turn and the moment you quit running and the moment you stand firm within yourself, that is the moment that you become truly powerful. So they're kind of interconnected, if that yes. makes any sense. It does make sense because I think a lot of that when, when we're carrying around this unresolved trauma, it results with sh it results in shame, right? So we're walking around with shame. And when we don't feel like we deserve something, we're willing to take whatever somebody's willing to give us, right? And we're not we're not elevating that, right? That demand of I'm gonna love myself. And if you can't meet me here, then I don't want it, right? So we have to that that unresolved trauma shows up in our life as shame. But it also runs us in several other ways as well. We we trigger, we mm -hmm. uh, we go yes. back to that first core wound, and that's how we respond to things. You're yeah. you have no power when you do that. You're not no. a powerful person when you do that. Yeah, when and, you're yelling and screaming, and yeah, no, it's yeah, not that's power. not power. And you know, Margaret Thatcher had a quote that I thought was so brilliant one time, and she said, "Being powerful is a lot like being a lady. If you have to tell people you are, you aren't." Oh, I love that. Isn't that a great I love and that. If you have that. to go around and go, I'm powerful, I'm powerful. Uh -huh. Well, you're not because right. true power speaks on its own. Yeah. It, it doesn't need you to verbalize for it. And that's yeah, also yeah. how I feel about being a lady. Yeah. You know, it, it being a lady is something, you know, being a lady, whatever you right, want to call right. it. Being, being refined and, and presenting yourself in a, a powerful um, articulate, elegant way with, with a, a touch of refinement sets you apart in yes, today's world. Um, yes, and, you know, like they say, you have to choose between being a Kardashian or Audrey Hepburn, which, you know, who, who are you going to choose? <laughs> so, Audrey Hepburn all day long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's amazing. So I've really, really enjoyed this, but I want to be mindful of your time. So tell me, what do you wish more people knew? 
that being kind is the ultimate strength. Yes. And that every single person that we deal with on a daily basis is filled with pain. Yeah. And it is truly a sign of strength to be kind. It sure is. And um, I wish people knew that life is fleeting. Mm -hmm. and that it is a treasure and you know that's I'm I'm surprising myself by saying those words to be honest with you because the last year and a half I have been in deep deep grief mm -hmm. and there have been days where it's taken everything to get out of bed mm -hmm. and I I have lost uh after mom died I felt like I had lost my whole reason for living wow. but life is beautiful it is and I think society is set up to keep us from realizing that. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, having that kind connection with someone can change your day. You know, just somebody showing you kindness, even when you're not showing them kindness, or even when you're just being, you know, you're just going about rushing through your day, just somebody in act of kindness can just change somebody's entire oh, yeah. day it, it can save somebody's life and yes. i i read an accounting when i was a teenager um about this this young man was was giving a talk and I'll, I'll be brief i know we need to go but he was giving a talk and it was back in the 70s and i forget what it was about but he conveyed and and the his message was how much this one person smiling at him on the street meant to him that day that the smile happened wow. because he was on his way to kill himself. Oh, wow. And he, he believed that there was no reason for him to be alive. He had nothing left to contribute or offer. And he was on his way to go jump off of a bridge and a, a little elderly person walked by and looked him in the eye and smiled at him. Mm. And he thought that person actually saw me. Yeah. Wow. Saw me. And that one smile saved a life. So you never know. I mean, being nice is great. And it can make a difference in, in your day. And it can make you feel better. And it can make them feel better. But you never know the no. people out there that you're encountering, where they actually are in their life. And your moment of kindness not only can lift their mood, but it could save their life. Absolutely. And that's a lot of power. Yeah. Oh us to have in our in our lips and in our eyes and in our facial muscles. It doesn't take much to smile. It doesn't take much to not yell at somebody or get triggered. Yeah. It just takes hundred percent. Takes a little restraint. And restraint yeah. restraint is discipline and strength. And that leads to success. Mm hmm. Yep, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Carrie. You have been an absolute delight to talk to. Aww. And I have enjoyed every minute of this conversation. You've been so inspiring to me. So thank Aww, you. For Angela, that. Thank you. I am very honored by that. It's been a joy to meet you and to spend time with your listeners. I really thank you for this opportunity. Yes, ma'am. Well, and hopefully we'll be seeing a lot more of you. Um, so I am going, if you want to find Carrie Pierce, you can find her on prettypowerfulpodcast.com. And how else can people find you? Well, they can contact me directly through email at Carrie, C-A-R-R-I-E at Morgan Pierce Media Publishing. 
And I do have a Facebook page that is author Carrie E. Pierce. Okay. I have a children's book out called Abby Appletree. And then I have another one out called The Tale of Tommy Tomlinson's Tennis Shoes. Oh, and uh, Morgan Pierce Media and Publishing. We have several exciting projects fixing to happen. So morganpiercemediapublishing.com. You can find out all sorts of stuff there. Awesome. Well, we will definitely come check you out. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time today and all of your great insight. All right. I hope everyone has an amazing day. So again, you can go to prettypowerfulpodcast.com or contact Carrie directly. We'd love to get from you. Thank you for joining our guests on the Pretty Powerful Podcast. And we hope you've gained new insight and learned from exceptional women. Remember to subscribe or check out this and all episodes on prettypowerfulpodcast.com. Visit us next time. And until then, step into your own power.